the water. There's no brains, and, and they, just, they just float through life. It's like, it's easy. So I was like, I want to learn about the jellyfish. I felt like it'd be the easiest fish. So I want to be the subject matter expert. And so this morning, I want to ask you this question. <clears throat> Think about your job or where you're at, <clears throat> and you have conversations with people that try to tell you your job. And they might know it. They might understand it, but they don't have authority in it. It makes me think of a coach one year. Uh, I had just left my alma mater, Seaside High, and I went to go coach uh, the rival school, Monterey High. And I played against this guy who was on, on the coaching staff. His name was Jimmy Hill. This dude was amazing. The way he talked about football, he had authority in running the veer. He knew how to run the veer when he was asleep. And I would sit for hours in film with this dude. And I, I was a defensive guy through high school and college. But when I came to Monterey High, I fell in love with offense because of his authority in the understanding and the nuances of running the veer. I hated the veer in high school. We could never stop it. But man, I fell in love with it. I fell in love with it because he had an authority in it. And this morning, we're going to talk about authority. Over the last few weeks, we have seen in Mark the beginning of his gospel with the ministry of John the Baptist, if you look at verses 1 through 8, and then the baptism of Jesus in verses 9 through 11. Then we see Jesus thrust out into the wilderness to be tempted. Then verses 14 and 15 give a brief summary of his uh, preaching when he says, the kingdom is at hand. Then we get to notice the first call of his disciples, his first four. And this story of Jesus teaching the authority and power over demons is what we're going to focus on in verses 28 through 20, uh, 21 through 28. The big focus last week we witnessed, Jesus in Mark 1.15, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom of God, we read, is God's presence coming to all people and cultures and pressing into the brokenness of the world, fulfilling God's promise to restore all things and bring it back into the right relationship with God. It also means things will finally be done on earth as in heaven. God will rule and his people will find joy, hope, and peace. This week we pick up the story now to see what life is like in God's kingdom and what it looks like. So let us read Mark chapter 1. Verses 21 through 28. But before I get reading, I just want to say there is something beautiful about walking through a book of the Bible because it makes it easy. I know where I'm going for the next few months. But the hard part is when you come to Scripture and you're scratching your head all week, how do you make it applicational? This week, this Scripture did it. Like 21 through 28, I was bamboozled. I was like, Lord, this is all you. So this morning, I am surrendering. Because as I keep reading and reading and reading and changing the sermon and shifting and thinking, and I mean, I've got notes, and I remember hearing Isaac one time saying, you know you've done some studying when you got like the scribbles all on your paper. And that is me this morning. But man, it was beautiful, the conclusion that I came out with. Not for me, of him. So let us read God's word this morning. They went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. People were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one with authority. Not as the teachers of the law, 
Just then, a man in the synagogue who, synagogue who was possessed by impure spirits cried out, What do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you are here, the Holy One. I know you, who you are, the Holy One of God. Be quiet, said Jesus sternly. Come out of him. The impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and one with authority? He even gives orders to impure spirits, and they obey him. News about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. Let us pray. Father, I thank you so much for Scripture and the challenges, Lord. And it's, Someone said something to me yesterday. If we don't pray over it, it's, it's of us and not of you. And Lord, I've been praying that you just give me wisdom and guidance through this. Be with us. Allow this to change our heart. Maybe, may we find understanding, great understanding in what you are asking of us through this word this morning. Lord, just sur- we surrender. We ask for covering over this place. In your son's amazing name we pray. Amen. So here we read... Uh, the very right out the gate, they went to Capernaum. And as I was looking at this, this is Jesus and his four disciples that enter Capernaum. And they make their way down to Capernaum. And, and, and before they go down to Capernaum, they're in Nazareth. And if you remember, I don't know, some people might, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, I'm still learning new things about this guy named Jesus because as, I, as you unpack it, you start learning and learning you, the richness of it. And so as I was looking at Mark uh, chapter 1, 21 through 28, I wanted to find out what is the backstory of him entering into Capernaum. The backstory is he was actually in Nazareth right beforehand. And in, in Luke chapter 4, the craziness comes out of him, right? So in, in Luke chapter 4, he is in Capernaum, or he is in Nazareth. And this is where Jesus is actually uh, sitting here in the synagogue, and he's preaching to these people. And he, he uses a verse, Isaiah 61, 1 through 2, and he starts saying the scripture from the Old Testament. And then he says, today the scripture is fulfilled in me reading this. I'm over here with the thing. Sorry, Jim, playing with your things. So here he is in Nazareth. The people are amazed in Nazareth. He initially started off as a great teacher. Like, like they were excited that he was there until, until, wait a minute, Jesus, aren't you just Joseph's son? Wait a minute, aren't you just a carpenter? Like who gives you the authority? And Jesus is sitting here like, all right. It says in, in Luke chapter 4, verses 14, uh, through through 50, he, or through 30, he's sitting here having this conversation in, in the synagogue, and, and people are amazed, and surely you will quote this proverb to me. Physicians, heal yourself, and you tell me, do here in your hometown what you have heard that you did in Capernaum. And, but they're challenging who Jesus is because Scripture tells us you can't be a prophet in your own town. And how many times did Jesus tell his disciples when he sent them out, hey, if they don't, don't want to listen, shake your feet and go. So that's what he does. So him and his four, they end over to Capernaum. And that's where this story picks up here in Mark. And it kind of it made me think, because you got to think, Jesus in Nazareth, his family is there. 
Wasn't it the same parents who, who seen him when he was 12 years old? Wait, why are you looking for me? I'm in my father's house. Don't worry about me. And, and he's 12 years old, and he's sitting here talking with the scribes and the Pharisees and preaching and, and asking challenging questions. These same people in his town are like, he already knew this stuff. He had authority. If you look, there's so many times that he ends up in the synagogue. So here it is. Jesus made Capernaum his home, his operation, his base. Capernaum is a prosperous town at the north end of the Sea of Galilee and also home of Jesus' first disciples. This became his hub for ministry. And like any good Jew, immediately on the Sabbath day, he entered into the synagogue to teach. The Sabbath day, they speak. It was their tradition to be there on Saturdays. The synagogue was, I was learning, it's not just a church. It wasn't just a church. They had their temple. But like it only took about 10, 8 to 10 families to build a synagogue. And that synagogue was in their community. It was in their neighborhood. It was right down the street. It's where they would go and fellowship and have potlucks and hang out and vote. I've seen potlucks. One of the commentaries actually used the word. I was like, "Mm, I love a synagogue. So Jesus entering the synagogue on a Sabbath, that means he already had a crowd there. People were already going to be there hanging out. In this glimpse, as Jesus is speaking to these folks, the law of Moses was still in effect, so the observant Jew would be there on that Saturday. And Jesus kept that Sabbath. The synagogue on the Sabbath provided a ready audience. And I love this idea that Luke, in his account, he gives Jesus the platform. So teaching in the synagogue became a feature of his ministry. We Most of the time, we think of Jesus teaching out in the wilderness or teaching out on the mountainside or going to a Gentile nation and, and, and teaching to folks uh, that aren't in church. But he first came to those in the synagogue. He first said, hey, I want to teach you. And when they, they didn't listen, he's like, all right, I'm going to go somewhere else. I'm going to teach the people who really want to hear. We also realize that they, they is Jesus' disciples as they started this journey. So you got to understand, as Jesus is walking his ministry out, he invited, last week we talked about, he invited, he gave an invitation to his disciples. So now here, it's like, let's go, we're going. I'm going to teach you firsthand how to stand in front and speak of the Lord's, Lord's words with authority. And that was new to the disciples. That was new to the people in the synagogue. So so they've heard the scribes preaching and teaching, but they're quoting other scribes. Whereas Jesus is teaching with one of authority. Like, as I was reading this, I had to stop and think, like, have you ever stopped and thought about what it would be like or what it had been like to be one of his disciples on his first day of work to go to Capernaum, to witness his power and his authority fully on display. Jesus is fully love and fully humility. Like, he's full of this. He models the servant lifestyle. In these passages, we notice Jesus came as the greatest example of love, humility, and servanthood. But as followers of Jesus, we can't overlook the power and authority of Jesus. There is a great hope and comfort for those who see the power of Jesus and recognize that there is nothing that can stand against him.
And that's why these folks were amazed and astonished. If you read Mark uh, chapter 1, 22 and 27, there is one temple, but synagogues are many. And so in this synagogue where Jesus and in, they are widely scattered and devoted to their scriptures. So they know the scriptures. They study it. They worship it. The public reading of the scriptures, the role of the president of the synagogue, which I just realized was more of the administrative and the pastoral. So he would invite people in. And here we get to witness this invitation in. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as a teacher of the law. And it's the first day of practice, and I remember seeing Jimmy Hill, and he's out here, and he's saying, we're going to run the power veer, and we're going to toss off of it. And I never understood, as a defensive guy, like the purpose of running the veer, tossing it. Well, then I realized, as I started learning from Jimmy Hill, it gives you three options. But when we read Scripture, there's only one option. And that one option is, do we truly trust and believe in who Jesus says he is? Do we trust in his power and his authority? These folks caught it. They caught it. They were, they was like, wait a minute, hold on. We've heard this. But why do you speak as if you wrote it? And as I was sitting here and I was reading commentaries, the responsibility of teaching in this synagogue was shared by those who knew the scripture, the Torah, as one who was authority of it. But these people are saying the teaching is different. If you read here in 27, the people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this, a new teaching and with authority? What changed? I really think the change was the essence of who Jesus is. As a Pharisee, as a scribe, you're still a sinner. It's like me sitting up here today trying to share this word with you. I'm still broken. And if it doesn't convict, convict my heart, it's not going to convict yours. Whereas Jesus was, was pure and sinless and spoke as it came out of the Father to his people. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. and The Word is God. That is the authority in which Jesus stood on. That beauty This week, as I was grumbling through this scripture, the question I had to ask is, do we submit to Jesus as God? I get he's our savior. I get that he went to the cross. But when he speaks, do we look at what he says and says, I surrender. Like, do we really take in the red letters in the Bible and say, what are you saying to me as, as he's sitting here? Because somebody does. The person who sp- speaks up on his authority is not the person who you would think would speak up. And that's what baffled me this week. Just then, a man in their synagogue who was possessed by impure spirits cried out, What do you want with me? Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One in God. Instead, I would have thought the synagogue leaders or the people that have read and heard of the Torah, they'd have been like, this is the Messiah. This is the one that was sent for us, that's going to save us. This was the conqueror. All they said is they was amazed. They were tickled. They were fancied. 
Amazement is entertainment. I was amazed this week watching Facebook ads. <laughs> Come on, you laugh like you don't get on Facebook and look at some of their videos and their ads and seeing dogs that make you giggle. They're a chuckle. That's what these people were referring to when they say amazement. Oh, this is amazing. It's entertaining. Wow. But astonished? That's unbelievable. There's a difference in those two words. I love my NIV, but it uses amazing. But you look at ESV, you look at the the original text, it says astonished. They were astonished. They weren't weren't amazed, but the person who was really astonished was was this demon-possessed man who cried out and said, you are the Holy One. See, the folks in Capernaum noticed a difference between Jesus and every other teacher. Not just the folks in Capernaum, but also his first disciples. I don't know about you, but if I'm one of the four and I'm watching Jesus speak, and and, and the the guys, why are you here, Jesus? As a disciple, I'm going to take notes. How is Jesus going to interact with this individual? See, those scribes taught not with personal authority, but with secondhand theology. Their teaching was compromised of quotations. You know, so-and-so rabbi said this, and -and so-and-so rabbi said that, or this teacher said this. But Jesus didn't rely on other teachers. He had no quotes. Again and again, the gospel of Jesus said, you have heard. I had to underline that this week when, when he says, you have heard what I said. He spoke in no secondhand quotes, but with firsthand authority. The word authority means out of original stuff, original text. When Jesus spoke, he spoke as the author of the words. I love what Tim Keller says. He didn't just clarify something that they already knew or simply interpreted the scripture in the the way the teachers of the law did. His listeners sensed somehow that he was explaining the story of their lives as the author and it left them dumbfounded. How often do we read this book and we're dumbfounded? We're, I thought it was a bad thing, but it actually means like you're, you're like, wow. And as I think about that, I go to Matthew chapter 13, verses 36 through, through 43. It's this idea earlier in Matthew 13, They're talking about the weeds. And the the disciples, his, his, his group of guys, come to him and say, Jesus, can you break this parable down for us? We want to fully understand what you're saying. And Jesus graciously says, listen to this. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. And so when I think about this, I think about Jesus entering into ministry and he's entering into Capernaum. He's already got rejected in Nazareth. He's like, all right, y'all, I gave it to you. You're not going to take it and drink. That's fine. I'll take my living water somewhere else. Church, this sometimes could be us. I'll hang out on Sunday and I'll I'll soak it in. But am I going to let it convict me? Am I going to allow it to like, like make me feel some type of way? So this is what Jesus does. He enters in. The one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world. It's the synagogue. It's the church. It's your community. It's your place of business. 
The seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. The enemy who sows them is the devil. And Jesus makes it very clear. He's like, we're not going to separate the weed and the wheat. We're going to let it grow. But there is something that comes out of this. Verse 40, as the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will weed out his kingdom. Everything that causes sin, all who do evil, they'll be thrown into the blaze, into the furnace, where they will be weeping and gnashing of the teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the fathers. When I thought of this scripture, it comes to this, this idea of his power is on display. When you read Mark 23 through 26, you would expect the first response, maybe the synagogue leader, maybe the congregant. Nope, instead it's the demon-possessed guy. There is something crazy about the fact that the demon was the first to respond. Something deeper was going on that what anyone could see on the surface outside the world went. Jesus in the dynamic, the, the, the demon realm, did a battle in the synagogue. And this is the synagogue. And this is what was crazy as I was reading this. We don't know uh, how this one unclean spirit arrived in the synagogue. Why would he come to a holy of holies? Maybe he was there all along. I don't know. I mean, sometimes we come in with a chip on our shoulder, or a little angry, or a little frustration. Or we come with no grace in the morning because we didn't have a great night's sleep. And we allow our junk to come into the church with us. And as I was processing this this week, I started thinking of like, what do we allow into our church? Or uh, perhaps he came in late. And sensing somehow that Jesus was near, whatever the case It seems that this unclean spirit heard the teaching of Jesus because what he does next in response to the teaching. The unclean unclean spirit had seized control of this man. This could be our our afflictions, our, our traumas, our brokenness. Something was possessing this guy. He cried out, resistant and defiant. What have you do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The Spirit asked the question, a second question, have you come to destroy us? The unclean spirit in, in verse 23 was singular, but now the Spirit is asking us, the plural. Is this man possessed of multiple spirits? We've seen that, we've heard about that in the Bible. But I think there's something greater here. The title, the Holy One of God, is, 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 is given to Jesus to deliver it isn't Jesus' earthly origin. Nazareth, that, that, that Nazareth, the troubles with the spirit of his holiness. And I started thinking to myself this week, Jesus is, this whole, is holy and holy. And, and then this, 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 this spirit, this troubling spirit. But what, what, I, what I realized here is he just says, be quiet, said Jesus sternly, come out of him. Jesus wanted this guy healed. He didn't, he didn't like, nowhere in scripture does it say he like kicked him out of the synagogue. He said, come and and, like be quiet and come out of him. 
But it wasn't like he casted him outside and to deal with on his own. How easy would it have been for Jesus if he has this power and this authority to completely cast this individual out and, and give him no hope? But instead, he says, just be quiet. They come out. The empiric shook. And the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. And I don't know about you, but if, if, I'm, if I'm broken and I've got trauma and I've got struggles and I'm, and I'm just, I'm, Jesus, I know who you are. Why are you here? I need you. Like for me, as I was reading this, as, as the commentaries were saying, like this guy knew something, needed something, and spoke up of his need. And Jesus said, just be quiet and, and come out of him. We don't know what happened to the guy after, but I would have to say that this guy's life was radically changed. That he's seen something different in the way that Jesus maybe loved on him, different than how the scribes and Pharisees, did anyone sit and listen to this guy's story? Or even give him space to speak? How often do we feel like we don't have space to speak and share our hurts and share our junk? But Jesus perfectly with authority says, be quiet, come out. I have to believe that in verse 27, the people were also amazed that they asked each other, what is this? I have to believe the guy who had that impure spirit had to be the one that said, what is this? I am loved right where I'm at. That I'm struggling, I'm broken, and yes, he told me to be quiet and come out of him, but at the same time, now I'm healed. See, demons can oppress, but they can't possess the believer. And that was like, for me, that was life-changing this week. Because how often do we get up in our own head, if we are truly in his grips, if we are truly a believer, if we truly belong to, to the king, then no one else could possess us. Because his ownership is with his authority only. But we allow ourselves to get oppressed all the time. Instead of, instead of fighting and battling, we shrink and hide away. I'm not good enough to be fought for. So here's a demon-possessed man in, of all places, a house of worship. If this demon made his way into the first century synagogue, we should not assume that our own churches aren't beyond their reach. And, and it's this thought this week of I was just saying, like, who is struggling? Like, I talk a lot about us going out. But this week, one of the things that I had to pause of thinking about going out is, are we healed? Like, do we truly trust? Like, do we, are we sitting in his grace? Are we fully sitting in his authority, in his power? Or do we got stuff that we've got to work on? The unclean spirit speaks not only for himself. Notice as he says, us. And that hit me between the eyes this week. Even in our brokenness, we can advocate for others, but are we advocating for ourselves? And, and when, I, when I read this, what have you to do with us? Have you come to destroy us? Why does he do that? And I, and I, I believe that 
we see that John 3.16, it's, it's the good old Christian verse to go to when we, we share the gospel with people. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But there's verse 17, the second part. For God did not send his son into the world to condone, condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That is the kingdom that he is talking about. That is the gospel. That is what he is, his purpose here. And so when he is talking about this idea of be quiet and come out of you, it's this purpose of I am here with authority to show you that your life can be more if you trust in me fully. And I don't need your amazement. I'll get it from God. I don't need your praise. He's already praised me when he touched me with his dove. When I came out of the water. But what I need you to do is recognize that you can come fully as yourself and I'll love you right where you're at because my father has loved me first and now I can love you. And if we're called to be Christians, we love our father, we love Jesus, and then we outwardly love others, even those that are broken. Even those that get on our last nerve. Sometimes we do have to say, be quiet and come out. But in that be quiet, we also have to come with the grace and humility and say, what is your story? How can I love you? What do you need? Just as Jesus is sitting here saying, be quiet and come out, he's also saying, be quiet and come out so you can hear what I have for you. And that is what I found this week in this verse. Be quiet and come out. So you can hear my story, so you can hear my gospel, so you can be convicted, Jeffrey. Because you are allowing and you're too busy and you're, you're trying to do too much in, in, in just a couple months and you're trying to do all these things and you're trying to be all this. Because you, you're pleasing the world, you're not pleasing me. Sit with me, Jeffrey. That's what I got out of this. Be quiet. Be still. Smack between the eyes yesterday with Joe. you got to pray. Before you preach. How often are we noisy? How often do we live like this demon spirit that we allow things to go 100 miles an hour in our head instead of just being still and be quiet and look to his authority and look to his call and look to his place in our life? Because then when we do that, our junk comes out. Because I, I think of this idea in Matthew 13. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their fathers. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Man, we can't hear if we're not quiet. We don't know what our community needs if we don't know what we need. And that, that's what hit me this week is this idea, like I've been pushing over the, my story in the first couple of weeks of, of Mark, but as I sit here, and what God is showing me is like, what does the church need? Like, what do they need? Like, do they, and yesterday was a prime example of what I feel like the church needed when I seen the beautiful fellowship yesterday of conversations and stories. Gosh, I want that for us. I want us to have stories together so when we do go out, we have a story that is a great essence and it has a great smell to it and not just our junk stories and of our broken. Instead, we have stories of victory because of what God has done. 
And that's what I, I felt like this, this was all about. This, this last challenge, I don't even know if I was on this today, but the last challenge is, is this last thought. If you go to the very last slide, as I was sitting here thinking about it, the response is acknowledging the power and the authority of Jesus, then share it outwardly. But before we go outwardly, we got to share it with us inside. We do that through fellowship, not just on a, a, a once-a-month potluck. That's why I, I, I really encourage you. I, I mean, you might be busy on the 25th, but, man, I, I'm not just saying it because I want you in my house. My house is terrible. Like, we're going to have dirty clothes places, and my kid makes a mess. we got three crazy dogs. But we're not going to hide any of it. We're, I just can't. Like, Verl stopped by, and I was sitting on my couch in my pajamas, watching TV, reading Scripture, and you just came in the house, right? I didn't change. You showed up uninvited. You just showed up. We can't hide from each other, right? Like, we, Bill showed up this week, and it was crazy. Bill showed up, and I'm sitting here. It's in the evening, and I'm, I'm ready for bed. I'm hanging out, and I'm, I'm doing my nightly routine. But instead of hiding what my nightly routine is, I said, Bill, come in. Let's, come on, hang out for a minute. Like, like we've got to be that outward with each other. But we can only do that if we trust each other. And how do we trust each other? We be quiet. We listen. We hear challenge and then what comes out of us is the great aroma of Jesus not of ourselves so this morning my challenge to you is simple do we live with the power and authority of Jesus and are we going to share it with each other here let us pray oh man father I thank you Jesus for how you convict us in, the, in your word, Lord. May we be a people that are quiet to hear you and not the distractions of the outside world. We want to hear the authority from you. Not even from me, Lord. Quiet me. Shut me up. So this church can hear you and hear your teaching, Lord and your authority, and your power. Thank you, Jesus, for this time. Just be with us as we get to worship your name.